wow, this is exciting. Absolutely. And then I wonder, this is probably impacting some people, bringing up some past traumas of churches that have really sought revival, said they were in revival, Mm -hmm. uh, ended up hurting people as well Mm -hmm. uh, with this type of talk. And so it can be triggering for them. Right where you are, you're sitting in an electrical matrix of energy beyond belief or most human conception. Knowledge and communication can be carried on its way. Hey everyone, welcome to Den Clogs um, from Close Reach. We're part of the Close Reach Ministries. Um, I'm Attende. I'm part of the leadership team. And I'm Craig. I am the pastor of Close Reach Church. And so we welcome you. We thank you for tuning in. And uh, our very first pod. Yeah. Um, this is a thing that we're doing, and it's a way that we can expand upon our ministry, expand upon uh, our social media, where we just give a little snippet of you know our hearts and what we're talking about uh, in person. And we're inviting you into the conversation, a longer conversation, about some great topics that we are going to be discussing today. So, mm. Matende, what do we have rolling today? <laughs> well, um, we're going to be covering... Um, what close reach is even like I people are kind of trying to find out what we do. So I just want to go over um, why close reach is different and then why it's needed. And then we'll go over some other stuff later on, even a little bit of trivia towards the end. So I think we'll start off with since you brought me into the team with this idea. So what is close reach and why is it different than like, other church models? Yeah, it, it's a really good question. So uh, close at Close Reach Church, we are in, at Close Reach Church, we are a monthly church for everyday people. And so when we, we, when we were given this vision by God, my wife and I, uh, we were given this vision 10 years ago. So we're talking uh, really pre-video church, social media church, anything like that. Uh, we're talking about uh, uh, way pre-pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so we had this idea, but uh, my wife and I, we, we knew we needed to, to grow in our theology, uh, in our faith. And uh, so it's taken a long time to actually bring close reach to the public sphere. And uh, but we we have done that coming out of a pandemic. You know what was once conceived even before that was is birthed out of this this really strange time in history that we have uh, experienced, lived through. Um, there's been a lot of trauma and losses during this time, mm-hmm. and I think now is the right time to launch Close Reach. Nice, yeah, yeah. Twenty twenty was. An interesting year for many things. I think there was also like uh, people kind of had to take a step back and reevaluate their lives. I think a lot of people who had church was their like the foundation or their cornerstone during that time. Like it was either people had to adapt to that, like oh how what is this online thing? Like I now need to make community with the people in my house. So people were like trying to escape their homes in a way kind of like this was a time that they just had to were stuck with these people so i think lots of relationships either were stretched and broken or new ones were formed and then also people 
then people either went the other way when they're like, I don't care that this thing's going on. I need to be in the church. So like, that's why churches had that. I know what it, I know. I don't know if it was a law or an ordinance or something like that, where they could still operate in different ways while like other businesses had to be closed. So it was a very interesting time, I think, for churchgoers, non-churchgoers, like form relationship, having to break relationships, and yeah, yeah, absolutely, it is definitely a very divisive time. Uh, for people who are in relationships, for households, and people's relationship with God as well. As we think about, like, we, we came to this moment of, at first we weren't allowed into churches or into our church communities, mm-hmm. and then you're right, you know, ordinances were passing. Well, religious uh, religious uh, entities can can meet. Mm-hmm. And so then churches have to make decisions. Are we meeting? Are we not? Uh, what are the benefits? What are the risks? Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, you know, there uh, many were, were deciding to me while others were saying, well, no, I think that we need to be taking care of our neighbor. And for us, taking care of our neighbor would be not meeting at church mm-hmm. in person, but you know, maybe uh, doing more virtual things. Mm-hmm. And the other people are saying, well, no, we need to be together as the community of God. And so we need to meet no matter what. And so out of all this, I think we've gotten to this point now. Uh, we are uh, here in 2023 now. Yeah. Right. And we're at this point as uh, people of faith and and churchgoers or non-goers and trying to figure out what is church? What does it mean uh, to be part of the body of Christ? And I think that we saw a lot of different things as we practiced our faith during the pandemic and mm-hmm. through virtual church uh, for some of us as well. Of like, this is actually kind of nice to be able to eat my cinnamon roll and hear a word <laughs> and uh, listen to some music and and be together as a family. Yeah. While others, it was isolating. Mm-hmm. Where you know there are individuals that church is their community. It's their the, their place where they 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 are in, in community with others mm-hmm. and that is maybe the only touch they receive from the outside world from another person mm-hmm. might be when they're exchanging the sign of peace or just being in the same room as another and so so out of all this uh pew research has, has done a lot of research uh mm-hmm. there's gonna be tons more coming out but uh now coming out of out of this we're starting to see uh, trends in church attendance and in what's happening in the church world. And mm-hmm. one of the st- statistics that's come out of it is that a normal church attender uh, is considered a normal attender if they go to church once every eight weeks. So once every two months, an individual will come together to a church or in a church gathering mm-hmm. and uh, they will say that that is their church and those are their people and uh we're also seeing a little bit more of a gap uh in people not returning to the church as well mm-hmm. and so uh with, with all this being said in me looking at some of the, the statistics and noticing that you know there are people who came back to church and then there's others who uh said you know what I did this on my own pretty well or in my smaller community uh, just fine. And so I don't feel that need to go to church anymore. Mm-hmm. And so uh, so part of this is what Close Reach is about, is that we are monthly church for everyday people of faith. And so in being a monthly church, yes, we have one monthly gathering. And at that gathering is where 
we come together as a community. We celebrate all that God has done mm -hmm. and we anticipate what God is going to do as well. And so this is a really a, a key moment for us. And it's a moment of, of saying, you know what? Maybe church every week, it, it's fine for some folks, but there's other folks where uh, that's a little bit too much of a commitment. Uh, or maybe they're seeing that, you know, uh, I'm not being as uh, impacted or filled by this church model anymore. And so by meeting once a month, we are freed up to uh, go serve in our communities, to be the everyday people of faith that we say that we are going to be, mm -hmm. that our, our community is in the places that we work, mm -hmm. that we are ministers there as God's people that uh, we can be ministering to others through conversations. We can be praying for others. Uh, we, we can be showcasing our faith that way. And by only meeting once a month, that also uh, makes it so that we're not so reliant upon Sunday services, mm -hmm. that we're not saying, well, we'll be, we will exercise our faith once a week from Sunday to Sunday, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we want to be exercising our faith every single day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the monthly model, I think, works for a lot of people as well. But from that, we've also got a, many people who are like, oh, no, it's not, you know, it's not the way it's supposed to be. Uh, like, I remember even in college when I was trying to find a new church, um, because like in Vancouver, moved to Seattle, I was now going to UW. And I was like, oh, I need to, like on Sundays, I don't, I don't really like have a place I go to. So I need to find a church. So I remember finding out like, oh, online churches. I was like, oh, I need to commute downtown to a church down there. And I remember my parents and being like, you need to be in church every single Sunday. Because like, if you're not in church on Sundays, then you're not exercising your faith or you're not being a good Christian. But I was like, oh, but I can do church online. They're like, oh, that's not real church. You need to be like around other people and all that type of stuff. And even... Um, when we started, there was lots of pushback from people like, why are you only meeting once a month? You're supposed to be doing it every single day because A, B, and C, this verse says this, blah, blah, blah. You're supposed to be in communion with people. So it's, we know it's a different model, but I think there's a reason why it's different. And I think you've articulated that well of like, I think more people are able to commit to something if it is once a month. And I think the way our services, which I want to get into, why they're so different, why they feel so fulfilling, even if they're once a month. Like it's not the traditional routine of like, you come in, you sing songs, um, you know, at the start there's like fast songs, then in the middle there's like slow songs. And then you say, then the pastor's like, oh, say hi to everybody around you. Then you're like, oh, hey, hi. Then you shake someone's hand. There's that awkward silence when you're like, you said hi to your neighbors and I are just waiting for him to be like, sit down. And you listen to a message. And then sometimes it's communion. Sometimes it's an offering. And then you're like, oh, you know, tear your neighbor by, by or whatever. Then you're like, oh, see you next Sunday. And that's it. And like, I know that routine because I've been in so many churches. And I know that's like the rundown of how it is. Like, that's how the agenda of a church service kind of is and i think for many people kind of used to like this is going to happen next and this is going to have sometimes you have a special service where like oh there's a special speaker or 
I don't know, the kids are going to be singing a song today, so it's going to be kind of different and all that. But, yeah, I don't know. That's just what, like, switching and accepting my mind to, like, once a month does not mean I'm not a good Christian anymore and I need to be in a pew every single Sunday. I think that was the biggest, um, like, change for me to kind of be like, ah, it's, it's fine. Like, the many times I'm in the pew doesn't equate to how good of a Christian I am. Ah, uh, very good. Yes, yeah. absolutely. It, and that's just it, is that uh, as as leaders of churches, uh, we've done a disservice, I think, over history. So, so first of all, to say, there's nothing wrong with going to church every week. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah, that is wrong. awesome, and that's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some individuals, that is a, a large commitment, as we were talking about. Mm-hmm. And... There is a possibility, especially when new people come into an established community, that even being in the same room as a bunch of people in in fellowship mm-hmm. can be very isolating. That you might know not know the exact worship order, yeah. or maybe not that many people come over and say hi to you. Maybe yeah. too many people do, and it's like overwhelming, <laughs> right? Uh, and you're like, is they are they being genuine? Are they not? Yeah. But uh, with this monthly model, right? Uh, we uh, you know, if we're looking at the Pew Research, right, and saying, well, most church centers go every two months. Well, now we're going once a month. Mm-hmm. And if if individuals can commit to that and say, hey, you know what, that's doable. They're actually going to church two times as many times as they normally would in a mm-hmm. year, first yeah. of all. Yeah. Uh, but I, I want to get back to um, the, the error that we've made as, as Christian leaders mm-hmm. in that we did a disservice to individuals just over time. And it was with good intention, right? But I think that the message got uh, misconstrued, that mm-hmm. we drew a parallel between our relationship with God and church attendance. Mm-hmm. And we put them together, that we are better Christians and have a better relationship with God mm-hmm. only if we go every Sunday, right? We're mm-hmm. sitting in that pew like you, you were saying, like, you know, and, and trying to figure out um, is this okay to go once a month? Is it not right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's that, that guilt almost behind us, right? Mm-hmm. Even as a pastor, I'm like, shouldn't I be preaching every single Sunday? And that's something that I have to work through as yeah, well, right? Yeah. Uh, so by drawing that parallel that we, I think that we've just done through tradition and history of mm-hmm. saying that our relationship with God is connected to our church attendance, we're mm-hmm. implying that uh, by our expectations that if you don't go to church, mm-hmm every week you can't really know god yeah or be in relationship with god yeah i remember when i had sports like soccer and it's like oh there's a game on sunday then it'd be a conversation of like okay so then we're gonna go to the wednesday service so that it counts for that week so it won't go on sunday but we'll go on wednesday so i think part of it is also the guilt of like other people in the church how they will view you like oh these people weren't here again on Sunday, probably out sinning, probably out doing stuff, you know, they should be here, you know, praising the Lord. And they're just in bed, just sleeping, you know, lazy. They're not, they're not doing what they need to do. I think part of it is also like the guilt you feel of like, am I being a good Christian? But also like being judged by your congregation. Cause then when you come on the next Sunday, they'll be like, Oh, what'd you do last Sunday? And you feel guilty being like oh i had a soccer game they're like oh you choose soccer over god yeah of course you would <laughs> like that type of thing yeah. i'm like oh you know i had i had this thing for work or unless unless it was like a sickness then you were like okay we get it 
someone was sick, no judgment there. If it's like, oh, I had this other thing or I couldn't move this, whatever, or whatever, whatever. Like, oh, yeah, you choose that over God? Yeah, okay. Sinner. Sinner right there. Yeah. And you get labeled that. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's real. And so these are some of the things that we have to watch out for, uh, you know, whether we're in a traditional church or not. Is mm-hmm. I mean, I can remember a time when I was pastoring. Your, your, your story reminds me of a time when I was pastoring a church in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And we had a family uh, very few families now, mind you, this is an older aging congregation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a few families in the church, but one of the families was actually a very active baseball family. Mm-hmm. And they would have baseball games and tournaments, uh, right, throughout mm-hmm. uh, on Sundays, yeah. of course. And they would go to choose to go to those. And the congregation, many people in the congregation actually did look down on that. And they asked those questions of, well, where were you last Sunday? Oh, at a baseball, you're putting baseball before God. Mm -hmm. And they made those assumptions. But let me tell you a little bit about this family. They did go to these baseball games and they were really genuine people of faith. And their kids are too. Mm -hmm. And what they would do on, on those Sundays and actually before every game, but especially on Sundays, they would actually gather in a shady spot under a tree and they would pray together. They would read the word and have their own little service. And no one ever knew that. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Yeah. And they were actually doing the work. You know, when's the best time to do the work on is, is a Sunday morning, right? Yeah. When individuals, you know, many Christian individuals are in churches. So those outside of churches, well, what a, what a great time to share our faith. Mm-hmm. to pray over people, uh, to, to bring God into what we're already doing, mm-hmm. to, to step into God's presence, even before a baseball game. Yeah. We can do that. And that's exciting. And that's the exciting part of our faith in the God that we serve, is that God is everywhere all the time, whether we're at church or at a baseball game. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we've been talking about it's once a month, all of that. So in a service... What is, you know, so different that I would say would fill up your, I don't know, your jar of oil all the way into next month? Like, what makes our services, why do we feel like once a month our services are going to be it? Like, you're going to feel, you're going to feel it for the whole month or you're going to connect with us, you know, during the whole month as well. But I I think we want to talk about, like, what happens at, like... A monthly gathering with the community. Yes, so, absolutely. So, so we have uh, changed up our our worship order a little bit, and really, what we're focusing on is being a church that has uh, retreat style gatherings. So many times we wait till the summertime, or uh, you know, to go away on a spiritual retreat, mm-hmm. or. Um, you, you know, go on the, the youth retreat or whatever it might yeah. be, right? Family retreat, whatever retreat it might be. And those are great times of great spiritual uh, encouragement and renewal mm-hmm. and times that we really intentionally are going to a specific place at a specific time mm-hmm. with a specific group of people. Yeah. And we are going there for a reason and uh, expecting to meet God, mm-hmm. right? And so we're taking that idea, condensing it down so it's not a whole weekend that you're giving up or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, several hours or a whole whole week weekend day. 
And what we're doing is we're doing these retreat style gatherings. And in these gatherings, uh, we will have music, we will have prayer, uh, we will share a little bit, uh, you know, about the word. And we create this atmosphere for individuals to really, really press into that presence of God, mm -hmm. uh, to experience spiritual encouragement, no matter where they are, where no matter where we are in our spiritual journey, we're all at different places. We understand that and that's mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. uh, but to have that spiritual encouragement, to uh, have that spiritual renewal, that we we so much need. I think really coming out of this this divisive time we we're talking about before earlier mm -hmm. is we can really use some some Sabbath, so some extra like rest and rejuvenation. And really, the idea and the heart behind our services is that we are going to experience that together as a community, mm -hmm. and that it will, so to speak, fill us uh, for the month mm -hmm. and in us and encourage us and give us tools as well to to express our faith to connect with god mm -hmm. um ourselves and with those around us mm -hmm. and so that that's the whole idea is that we can come to the service once a month in community and continue this and 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 get the tools to continue uh, throughout the month. Mm -hmm. And then that leads us to our daily encouragements, right? Mm -hmm. Is that you're, you're not just this once a month gathering, then you're out of the community until next month. Mm -hmm. We connect, you know, daily on our social media. Mm -hmm. And our social media has a lot of you know, different types of daily encouragements, whether it's a, a video or um, a good word that's being shared. Mm -hmm. And so that helps connect us and build up to the next month's service mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think the thing that i really connect with is the experiences at the retreat style that's what i'm like we starting i think was that october yeah starting october and the from the first meet, gathering that we had all the way to the one that's coming up it's more i'm excited about like doing something tactile doing something with everyone and then having something that you can take with you home rather than just like it because i don't know church sometimes feels or it has felt for me i'll, I'll speak personally like i enter the room i engage with whatever and i leave everything in the room and i'm out i don't like the only things i'll take home is like a connect card or something that they're giving away for that day and that's it like i just walk in you know interact with the people but it feels like it stays there at the at the building it doesn't leave and go with me i think that's the other thing of like why um with the sunday thing it can feel like god just lives at church god doesn't live with you at your home like oh when you pray that's when god will peek out and you'll be like oh there you are and then he'll go away and then and then, then you see God at church, and that's it. But I feel with um, doing something that's experiential, it doesn't feel like it stays at the place. It feels like you can, you can go with it at home, and you can even replicate the thing that you did. You could share that with the people in your house who didn't go to the thing. You could share it with people at your workplace or with whoever you want to, even if it's that little small thing that either you're making or you're writing or you know you're doing something it's still it's shareable 
and you could take that with you. And even if it, like, it lives in your house and someone's like, oh, what's what's that thing? You can be like, oh, we did it at, you know, close reach, blah, blah. This is kind of the meaning behind of it. Do you want to do it as well? Or do you want to come with me on the next one? Like, that's the thing that I like the most is that with the experiences, they stay with you and you move with them rather than they live in a building and that's where it is. And the only way you can access that thing is only if you enter the building again, and then when you leave, it stays behind. So that's that's kind of the thing that I like the most about the retreats is there's an experience that is tangible, and you get to keep it when you go back home. It doesn't just stay with us, and we're like, all right, see you next month when you can, you know, try it again, and that's it. <laughs> and like it does it because you can rep you can replicate the thing at home. You can do it all over again. You can do it every single week if you choose to. If that's your Sunday, dude, do the thing on the first Friday. Keep it with you. Do it next Sunday. Do it the next Sunday. Do it the third Sunday, and then come on the next one. Pick something new, and then do it again. If that's if that's your model of what you know can renew you in a way. Yeah, yeah, and thank you for sharing that. I. Mm-hmm. I- I, I love hearing that. Uh, that's the exact heart behind it, is that it stays with you. Because, I mean, I've gone to church for decades, right? Uh, for, for a long, long time, decades. Yeah. Uh, and and But there's only a few sermons that stick with me, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of them have that experience. It's either an experience that I had mm-hmm. at church or it would be um, that thing that I was able, that tangible thing to actually bring home, put on the shelf, mm-hmm. right? And and go, wow, that really impacted me. I'll never forget that. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're trying to do every, every single month, once a month, really putting everything into it so that everyone walks away going, wow, I really met God here today. Mm-hmm. And I won't forget this, and this will be my encouragement re- reminder as I am living out my faith every day. Yeah. And that was, you know, it's kind of reminding me. I think that's why, like, you remember, like, your Easter service and the Christmas service. Because it's, it's always something, like, different than the norm. Like, I can remember Easter services back when I was in, what was that? Like, fourth grade. I can remember those. Cause that's when like the palm tree came out there was some type of play sometimes it being a live animal sometimes once in a while they'll do that or the christmas ones either you make snowflakes there'll be some type of play um there's something that you take home um i think one of the one of the churches that we had they had like the the fake snow kind of falling so when they're singing um what was it holy night like the whole sanctuary is filled with the snow that was like falling down and it was like oh man i feel like i'm there and like all the lights were dead i mean it's like it's a church that has like they have a production team and all that so the experience was like all around you like the dark room with those fog and all that but those are the ones i see i can describe exactly how it felt and how it was so now that's why i'm thinking like the big the big services you think of is like Easter and Christmas is because of those there's it's different than the norm. And there's some experience associated with it that 
is different than like, oh, every single day is just, this is how it is. So yeah, that that just hit me right now. Like I think that's why those are such a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, churches put so much time and energy into those services because mm-hmm. they know people be coming and and really looking into them. And uh, but your experience, I mean, you're you're just describing them. Uh, and, and the reason is because so many senses. Or it sounds like to me, mm-hmm. the reason is because yeah. of all the senses that are being engaged, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's not just word and audible, mm-hmm. right? Just sharing of words, but sharing the experience. I mean, we're talking about smell and touch and taste and sight uh and hearing right and mm-hmm. and, and all that so the mo- and that's what we try to do at close reach too right is we're trying to engage as many senses all right so i think so for the next oh, what, mm, go ahead so one more thing i was going to say too mm-hmm. about the close reach model that's really neat is that even if uh, individuals do have a home church that mm-hmm. they go to uh so you may go to a church every sunday and that's that's your thing and you love to do that and like we said uh we, we're not against that at all not against it, <laughs> that not you against are it. Your church but what you can also do is you are welcome to add close reach into your spiritual mix i think that's a really cool component that mm-hmm. uh you can still come to close reach <laughs> once a month experience these services engage with us online mm-hmm. and still have a home church that you go to every sunday or whatever your your specific rhythm is yeah 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 we meet on the first friday every month so it doesn't even interrupt your sunday groove that you have it's just one friday the first one of every month and that's it and you could just engage with us on social media if you want through our facebook our tiktoks you know watch all of our videos that we have um and then we'll see you on the next first friday so yeah it doesn't have to interrupt what you already have moving on if it is something you want to add on top to kind of enhance your experience go ahead if you don't have a place that you go to normally and you're like i just want to try something new and different and it doesn't um like sunday i have these things set that i already do on there you just have to set aside one friday if like this is something you want to start with um, instead of an addition to what you're already going on. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everyone's welcome no matter what. And uh, we'd love to see uh, more people join us at our new Redmond location. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so the next, so you are going to be listening to this on Sunday. So this Friday, we actually have uh, a service on, what is that? March 3rd, right? March 3rd, yeah, March 3rd. 23, 23. Yeah, um, at our new location in at the Redmond UMC Church, right? I think it's kind of downtown-ish, or like right yeah, in the heart of downtown. Downtown Redmond, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it, it's right there in the mix. A uh, great space. Uh, we have, uh, we're renting out the chapel there, mm-hmm. uh, and it is this really amazing space where you'll feel like you're transported mm-hmm. to a different time and a different space. And I say this all because it, it's really important, actually, what, what, uh, the, the way that we are doing this. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, so I understand. So as far as the, the, as far as Redmond uh, UMC, right? So it is a church building that you'll be walking into. Mm-hmm. And I can understand that's daunting uh, for some individuals. Uh, I know it was for me. 
for a long time of mm-hmm. entering a church. You don't know who the people, what the people are going to be like. You don't know what you're going to be walking into mm-hmm. and all of that. And so uh, what I want to put everyone's mind at ease, um, though, <laughs> though it's a church building, it'll mm-hmm. be a different experience as we have talked uh, just a little bit before this mm-hmm. about what the experience would be like. But uh, it's also, though it's in a church building, it's in this really really great spaces, this chapel space that will mm-hmm. transport you into a different time and space where you can really leave behind uh, a, a lot of the, the the things that may be weighing on you. Uh, it's a, a place where you can bring into a different space and time. It's a space where you can bring all that you have on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a place uh, where you can just bring everything and but mm-hmm. i actually feel like you are you, you've taken a step outside the life that you are living right now yeah, right yeah, so some yeah. of the stresses mm-hmm. uh yeah i think you really feel i, I hope that you feel will, will, will melt away mm-hmm. the burdens you're carrying that mm-hmm. you'll you'll feel um, them ease mm-hmm. uh as you step into the, the the space that we're coming into yeah 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 be at ease It'll be cool. No one's going to pick on you when you walk to the door. Because I've had some of those experiences where you're new and they're like, who's a new person? And you're like, oh, my gosh. And now, I don't know, people will, like, clap. And then someone who runs down the aisle and, like, hands you something. And, you know, you don't <laughs> don't be afraid. that That's not the experience. We're not trying to bring. Even if, I mean, I don't know. You might like the attention. We'll talk to you afterwards. But we won't make it a whole big thing that. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, look at the new person. And everyone's like, what's your name? And then you have to, like, introduce yourself. <laughs> it's awkward for everybody. Like, you have to worry about any of that. So what is the yeah. – can you give us a taste of what the what's our experience for March? Yeah, absolutely. So, mm. uh, so for March, uh, like we're saying, we're, we are relocating to this new space. Listen, we're, we're a new church new area Mm -hmm. so everybody's new so this is a beautiful time to come Mm -hmm. and the experience that we're going to have is going to be so awesome Mm -hmm. so uh we definitely have some great worship music planned and uh i'm gonna share a a story that is called the broken pot Mm -hmm. and i want uh i'm not gonna give anything away here with Mm -hmm. that but uh it's a great story really inspiring story and uh, what we're going to do is that we are actually going to do some kintsugi together. Uh, now, kintsugi is the Japanese art mm-hmm. that uh, is when you come across something that's broken, it is fixed with this gold, right? Mm-hmm. This gold glue filament that you can put it back together. Mm-hmm. And what I love about this imagery is that it's saying that, you know, there's things that happen in our lives. Uh, there's things that make us feel like we are uh, deficient, deformed, things that make us feel feel like we're broken. Not that we are broken, but feel mm-hmm. like we're broken, mm-hmm. that we're cracked, that we're hurting, that we're worthless. And we have these experiences in life. Mm-hmm. But yet, with that in mind, is when we do kintsugi, it's a really... Uh, meditative practice mm-hmm. um, that when doing something physically, not like meditating, like oh, or, you know, like like <laughs> there, there's a time and place for that. I, I, I'm all about meditation, yeah, but I, yeah. maybe meditation is not the correct word yeah. <laughs> for this uh, because uh, 
because meditation is great. Mm. Uh, this is more um, a, a hands-on experience mm -hmm. to remind us of how whole we truly are, mm -hmm. um, how wonderfully made each one of us is, mm -hmm. and that none of us are too lost, too broken, too fractured, too cracked, mm -hmm. right, uh, to, to not be redeemed. Mm -hmm. And so this practice really gives us that time and space to focus in on those times in our lives where we've experienced this hurt and pain and trauma, mm -hmm. and put it into something physical, right, mm -hmm. and put the is back together quite literally mm. and then this will be something that you can bring home with you so we're going to use a terracotta pots mm -hmm. and uh you know we're, we're we're gonna we're gonna do some breaking it's gonna be it's gonna be fun <laughs> we're gonna have to break them first right mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> we're gonna crack them a little bit and uh so but then what we'll do is we'll have some time uh we'll have some music playing in the background uh mm -hmm. some time to put those uh pots back together with the the gold resin mm -hmm. and we'll be able to take those pots home and there'll be a a, a reminder of the experience that you had mm -hmm. uh while you and also it'll be that reminder right as we're living out our faith every day and a reminder of the story and the service mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay well if that sounds interesting to you sounds like an experience you want to take hold of um the the address will also be in the description as well if you're listening to this if you're seeing a clip of this right now i'm looking at you on instagram or tiktok just now we're gonna be um it's this friday that this experience is gonna be happening and then after that um you'll probably see photos of how it went if you can't be there in person and then next episode we're kind of gonna go a little bit more deeper into the I guess the theology behind all of it and why it matters that we did this practice together and you know we'll probably have more perspectives on that so i'm looking forward to that conversation um just to go a little bit more in depth because i think that's how this pod is kind of um how do i say this fashion is that when we have an experience is a time for us to kind of dive a little, bit, a little bit more deeper into it kind of the reasoning why something's happening but also I think this is a good place for us to have also other topics that might be um, adjacent to what experience we did or something we want to just touch on because we feel it's important and this is an avenue where that can be done um, with each other. So, yeah, that's my promo for <laughs> our um, March 1st Friday um, at the Redmond UMC at our new location. All right, so yeah, the last quarter or half of the pod um i think we want to just go over things that are happening around us this is being recorded in february so black history month is about to conclude and be over but also in the news there's been interesting things happening um so i think i just wanted to go over that i think it's interesting uh, for that so we're talking about um is it a revival? It's in Asbury, um, which is, I think it's in Pennsylvania, right? Nope. Wilmore, Kentucky. 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 Yes. Okay. So if you want to give some background on all this, just want to quickly jump in here with our ad for today. 
um, want to catapult your business to the next level, build a better brand of professional branding experts, Fiverr is a perfect place for you to get all your branding projects done on time and on budget. Just find a professional, set your deadline, and cross off your to-do list. Um, a strong brand is a memorable brand, so to be me memorable, you have to use the same brand image on everything that you do, which is your logo, social media, and your app. So they have attention-grabbing logos, they have social media design, you know, don't just settle for a few clicks on your social media, you want to create a profile that demands attention, and then they also have web and mobile design, you know. So what are you waiting for? Fiverr has everything you need to build a better brand. Just click the link in our bio for you to get started. Um, and a big thank you to Fiverr for sponsoring our episode. Now back to um, Asbury Revival. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I love your question. Is it a revival? <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll discuss that. Let, let's check this out. So mm -hmm. on February 8th uh, in Wilmore, Kentucky at Asbury University, mm -hmm. after after a regularly scheduled chapel service, a group of about 20 students lingered and began to worship and pray together. Uh, the chapel speaker that they had uh, told the students to become the love of God by experiencing the love of God and closed with a prayer asking God to revive us by your love. Now, according to the students, as they stayed and, pr and prayed together after this service, an unexplainable, surreal peace descended upon them in the room. And as minutes stretched into hours, many of the students who had gone to class returned to the auditorium where they had heard what was going on. Mm -hmm. They would eventually be joined by faculty, staff, community members who continue to trickle in and participate in the worship and prayer that was going on. Uh -huh. Didn't stop until yesterday. So they went 16 days, 400 hours of worshiping God together in community. It is absolutely amazing. And so people have dubbed this a revival. Uh, they're calling it the, the, the Asbury Revival. You can check it out, hashtag Asbury Revival. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's been really interesting to hear what's been coming out of Wilmore, Kentucky. Uh, this is a town of 6,000 people. So small town, Kentucky. Um, there's a university and seminary there. This was at their university chapel mm -hmm. that this happened. And I love how it was started by students young students seeking God, mm -hmm. um, which is really inspiring how this started. Mm -hmm. And so as we talk about this, I do just want to say, you know, I'm, I'm going to approach this with great humility. Mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't there. Um, I, I just have heard things from people who either were there, um, reports from the school itself. Mm. And I've been following it just in the news and, and you've been able to check in on their web cameras. Mm -hmm. And so it's been really interesting to, to watch this unfold. Cause uh, you know, we, as one thing, as a, uh, as a church leader, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things, especially from my, my old background uh, was a very Pentecostal background. And mm -hmm. so one of the things we're always seeking is revival. Yeah. And, and revival would look like uh, uh, 
a, a pastor just throwing down the word mm-hmm. and saying, yo, you are a sinner and you need to repent. And this is what God says. And the fire fell upon them and, you know, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Right. So, and so, and then we, we see a lot of uh, people coming to the Lord mm-hmm. uh, through these revivals and, 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 uh, you know, seeing their, their need for a savior and falling before the altar. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like pretty wild, sometimes bizarre thing that mm-hmm. uh, I guess were my expectations at coming from that Pentecostal background. Mm-hmm. And when I tuned in, it was totally different. Mm-hmm. And so this is where I'm, I'm asking the question, you know, was it revival or was this an awakening? And so, uh, as, as revivals seem to speak, you know, mm-hmm. revival would be, uh, like I explained, mm-hmm. people, fall, you know, God's presence falling upon uh, a specific place in time, yeah. people re- re- reformed of their sin, mm-hmm. and uh, new believers coming forth, right? Uh, from a lot of the, the word that's come out of Asbury is that this was very different. And when I tuned in, I was expecting to see the wildness and the yeah, loud music, yeah. <laughs> lights, and, and like the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. Especially from from students. But this was really different. And it was very, uh, when I tuned in, very peaceful, very reflective. Mm-hmm. And reports that were coming out of Asbury was that uh, there were many people that were already Christians, but being more awakened to the spirit of God that was already around them, mm-hmm. that there was a lot of, of asking, you know, coming to the altar. Yes. But asking for forgiveness, seeing, you know, being, having, having our eyes open to sin and, mm-hmm. and, and ask for that forgiveness from the God that uh, we've already longed to serve. Mm-hmm. So, and so it seems like, it's a awakening of God's people that's happening uh, at Asbury. Mm-hmm. And uh, that'd be the difference between them. It's an awakening is more God's people being awakened to God's spirit, where a revival is new believers coming to the faith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when we think about great awakenings, like in history, great awakenings are when a full culture is consumed by, say, by by theology by by, yeah. by God's presence yeah, right yeah. so well, across a nation mm-hmm. culture changing and being directed or turning back to God mm-hmm. that would be more of a great awakening but I I can see this as as the way it is as um, an awakening and I'm sure there are people there's also reports of people coming to the faith afterwards right mm-hmm. uh, because this didn't just stay in the school as word about the spread then uh, thousands of people, tens of thousands of people came to this small town in Wilmore, Kentucky to mm-hmm. get a piece of God's presence that was consuming this place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so about 50 to 70,000 people visited during this time, Jeez. during these 16 days. Wow. Yeah, I feel yeah. like it's interesting. I'm not going to poo-poo on it and be like, oh, you know, <laughs> something like that. I, I do think it's interesting um, the only thing I hope from this is that, I don't know, some type of action comes from this. Like, um, I know many people, are, you know, were saved and touched. I just hope, like, there is some result that, um, 
don't know, is visible in some way. I hope those all those kids and all those students do something, I don't know, productive with this new awakening that comes from that, you know? That's the only thing that I'm like, I mean, it's it's very interesting. I've never, I've never been, I mean, I don't think I've been inside of like a revival thing. I think I've had like <laughs> personal revivals. I don't know if, if that's even a thing. So that's the only thing I hope from all this is other, other things start happening in that town or in the state or, you know, there's many things happening um, in there um, in that at that time and in that state as well so that's the other thing i hope of like hey let's let's see some some faith into action you know happening over that side um so yeah that's yeah yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. absolutely especially you know in the the location that they're they're in Mm -hmm. right i mean we're we're talking um you know heavily christian area Mm -hmm. and uh and so that's why i love you know seeing that it's referred to by a lot of people as an awakening as well Mm -hmm. Uh, and what's going to come out of it and what these students are going to do mm-hmm. now as you're alluding to as well i mean there is a dark side right mm-hmm. of revival um and uh there's a lot of trauma around like the god told me theology mm-hmm. and um you know the human uh the human agency in all this as well mm-hmm. right and so that that's something that's really interesting to me because mm-hmm. uh, I I've gone kind of both ways where I've just like wow this is exciting absolutely and then I wondered this is probably impacting some people bringing up some past traumas of churches that have really sought revival said they were in revival mm-hmm. uh, and ended up hurting people as well mm-hmm. uh, with this type of talk and so it can be triggering for some individuals i actually had a friend that uh had said that this was hearing about this asbury revival it wasn't the revival that was the problem right or what's going on what god's doing in asbury Mm -hmm. right but it's her experiences in her life that it really triggered something in her uh because she was part of this type of culture this revival culture Mm -hmm. um and seeing the dark side what happens in it and so she's along with you saying, well, I want to see what kind of changes come out of this, mm-hmm. right, um, yeah. from the people who are reading it. And um, and there, there's so many people who take advantage of these situations, too. Many Christian leaders take advantage of these situations where mm-hmm. they'll go in to, uh, to this great thing that God's doing and say, mm-hmm. well, how can I replicate this for myself so I can bring this to my church? Yeah. And there might be some good heart behind that but i mean what's our motivations we got to check yeah. our hearts check our motivations on why we're really doing this are we really doing this to uh bring the spirit of god with us back mm-hmm. to our home churches um because last time i checked you know god's spirit's everywhere yeah. we just need to be stepping it, right yeah. Uh, yeah or is it to grow your church and to say hey i went to this thing i brought it back come to my church now because i'm seeing that as well yeah as in how it's coming out of this as well that church leaders are going there saying hey i brought the spirit of god back with me we're going to have extended worship now so now uh we're just going to start a worship service in our own agency right Mm -hmm. in our own power Mm -hmm. and say all right well god's going to bless this and then you just don't stop and so you start going okay so i have all my bands scheduled i have my speakers already pre-scheduled i have food pre-scheduled right Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) so it's like a premeditated revival (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and 
right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so that's some of the sleaziness that ends up coming out of some of this too, which mm-hmm. is really sad, but we have to be aware of it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I'm like, eh, I mean, if if something like, if it is an awakening and these students have a new vision and God really touched them and they're, you know, they're like, we're going to change the world and all that. Let's see what comes out of it. Like, I'm, I'm rooting for them to do a lot of good in the world. I'd want to see that of like, oh, this started as a little tiny thing at their at, at their university now they're doing all these big things and like helping helping the world in these different ways. They started doing this. They started working here. Or they, you know, wrote policies that you know will affect you know people's you know underrepresented communities in their state. You know, they're you know trying to pass different bills that will help people in these different ways. All for it. But as you said, there's also that side of it of like. Are they going to use this to kind of now do whatever they want to do without power? Because they're like, because many not great things have happened with the God is on our side. Like many wars have been started and many people have been hurt with the, well, God is on my side. So I know it's, it's, it's true. And whatever you're saying is wrong, even though people are like, I don't know, maybe you're misconstrued. Like you're using... you're using that to your own advantage so you can get whatever you want done. That's the only thing I'm like, I really hope this awakening is going to bring a lot of good, not only to like, I wonder about the other communities in their, like in that town who aren't necessarily churchgoers. How is that experience for them when they feel like, Oh, God's in your town. He's here to, you know, touch all these people. And you don't necessarily like believe in the Christian God, or you're kind of on the fence and you just kind of don't know like, is that intimidating? Is there going to be, like, are people going to start harassing you or other things are going to come out of that? Like, is Kentucky going to go in a totally different direction? Because now they're like, oh, we're <laughs> we're standing on these godly principles. And, you know, in the U.S. is kind of, like, tied in with some nationalistic stuff that, you know, will go in a different way. we be like, oh, man. This revival thing was not great. It was not an addition to the communities. Or it might be a mix of both. Might be some good that happens from it and harm that also happens with it. And that's just like human nature. So that's where I'm like, I I don't know. I don't have like a strong like this is trash or I'm not like, oh, this is awesome. Nothing wrong can go from it because like we have seen not so great things happen like in the god is on our side people so yeah i don't know <laughs> yeah absolutely no, yeah. no that, that's definitely i think it's a both and right we're gonna see mm-hmm. some great things uh that god's doing and what gives me hope for this too mm-hmm. is the, the 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 type of gatherings this word that you know is students that led it and then uh just the peacefulness of it mm-hmm. uh that Nothing was being being forced mm-hmm. um, of what I've seen or heard, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think you'll also have those outbreaking communities, like you're saying, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, and then, then you're going to have some of the, the 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 bad stuff too, right? And so mm-hmm. the trauma that that comes out of these things because we're human, right? And so yeah. you're going to have people who um, don't carry this well, yeah, you know, or carry it with humility, mm-hmm. and so. 
uh, it kind of reminds me of uh, I saw Nadia Boltz Weber uh, had written an article mm -hmm. and uh, one of her quotes was really interesting. Uh, just speaking about how we're all in different places uh, in our faith and uh, some people in deconstruction and reconstruction mm -hmm. and church baggage and, and everything like that. And so she said, um, so I'll just say this. May we all continue to pay attention to how we might already be changing. May we not just impersonate old versions of ourselves. Mm -hmm. May we be open and gently walking away from hills on which we have planted flags, but carry with us compassion for the person we were when we needed to put it there. And I thought that was really uh, profound, you know, as we're all in different places of our faith and even where I've come from, like I was saying with that Pentecostalism and that revival, mm -hmm. and I was going to plant my flag under that uh, pretense, right? And mm -hmm. that I was going to say, um, I need this in my life. I need to be in revival 100%, 24-7. Otherwise, I'm not really living out my Christian faith, right? Mm -hmm. But then to have compassion on my old self to be like, what were you thinking, Craig? Why were you, uh, you know, so... What, what, why were you using God's name in vain, right? Saying, mm -hmm. well, God told me that, yeah, you know, and then yeah. you fill in the book. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but to have compassion ourselves with as we walk forward uh, through this and hearing about this revival. And um, and I, I think Asbury's done a great job mm -hmm. in um, in handling this situation. Um, all their leaders have, have been phenomenal. They were very slow to speak on what was going on. And, um, you know, bringing in all these visitors and managing them and keeping the students safe mm -hmm. as well. Um, so so they ended up deciding that they were um, going to approach this in a different way starting yesterday on, this, on the, uh, I guess it would have been the 23rd. Mm -hmm. And uh, so people are like, you're, uh, God started revival, man can't end it, right? Mm -hmm. Humans can't end it, right? <laughs> is what they say. Yeah. Uh, and so... Uh, so oh, a, a message came up from Asbury saying that, uh, asking them if they are stopping this outpouring of the spirit, right? Mm -hmm. And the stirring of human hearts. And they responded by pointing out that, hey, we can't stop something that we did not start. It was God who started it. Mm -hmm. And so what we're doing, though, is how we're responding to it, right? They always went to class. They continued on their normal rhythms. People come in and out of class for students. And so mm -hmm. now they're limiting it to just students being in this chapel and time and space. Mm -hmm. But then they've located other locations where they're sending visitors to, you know, they can tune in online. They can mm -hmm. have their own spaces as well. So I think that's really wise uh, to keep this more into, uh, you know, having the community share it with others because we have this great technology now where we can do that. Mm -hmm. okay. So, and they, they, they again said that, you know, that they don't believe that God ever meant it to just be Asbury that holds on to this thing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that they believe that it, if it's a true revival, if it's a true awakening, that it's meant for everyone and not just to hold it in in Wilmore, right? Mm -hmm. That they are praying and hoping that this is going to have that impact that reverberates uh, out to the nation, to mm -hmm. all different places and churches and people of faith. Yeah, I really, I really hope so. Um, I really hope lots of good comes out of it. And, you know, I'd rather be a part of it if it's something like they're like, oh, we're doing this nationwide, blah, 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 that is for good down for it 
Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that caution is just in the, a lot of uh, Christian things that have happened um, in our country weren't necessarily everyone's overall good, but more like for select people's good or what they wanted to do. So I think that's where the hesitancy for me comes and like, I don't know how this is going to pan out. I hope it pans out great, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll, we'll have to see um, what happens in, you know, the next month and after that. And maybe we could touch on it again. I'm like, so this is what is so far we know has happened from this event. This is what they've done. And this is the direction that they say they're going to be moving in. So. We'll yeah, that'd see. be really interesting. We should definitely circle back, close the loop on this and just keep checking in and uh, see what comes out of this and praying that, you know, great stuff will. Uh, and I, I'm just really hopeful for this generation, mm -hmm. you know, that more of this will, will, will happen uh, that is going to continue to point people uh, towards God and uh, living out mm -hmm. their, their genuine faith. I have a, I have a, a story and question for you for mm -hmm. Black History Month. Mm -hmm. So uh, that I thought was really interesting is so I uh, spoke at a at a school mm -hmm. and uh, to, in front of a bunch of uh, high school students. And so I spoke about, uh, you know, Black History Month, mm -hmm. MLK, all, all that good stuff here. And it was really just me uh, sharing stories mm -hmm. from the experiences that the, 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 it's really was me sharing stories from experiences that I've seen myself. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I've lived in different areas of the country mm -hmm. and, uh, and also others experiences that they've shared with me that mm -hmm. I I've learned from taking some time to talk with, uh, especially, uh, people who are black and, uh, people of color. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it was a lot of that sharing, you know, that, racism is is still a huge problem mm -hmm. in our country and then some places it's um it, it it's covert right and mm -hmm. in other words it's very overt mm -hmm. and so anyway so i i shared some of these stories uh which you know were stories of recent kkk um activity mm -hmm. um of uh, how communities can stand up to uh, racial discrimination and mm -hmm. violence in their communities. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, simple stories even of uh, the impact that you can have that you don't even know mm -hmm. uh, of, I told a story of this 85 year old gentleman, a mm -hmm. uh, black gentleman that I uh, just going to McDonald's after school and I opened the door for him and he passed by and we went in together and he looked at me like with tears in his eyes and said that, this was the first time a white man had ever opened the door for him in his life. Wow. Five years old. And so I actually got to speak with him and just talk to him about, you know, kind of his life and him mm -hmm. growing up at McDonald's. Right. Yeah. And to take the, have those, those conversations mm -hmm. and, um, and think of other things like, uh, the conversations that I don't have to have with, with my son. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, there's other people from the black community that have shared stories of like, they have uh, people of color will have to talk to their kids about, you know, how to talk to white people, mm -hmm. um, how to drive mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, don't leave the house in a hoodie or don't put it up when mm -hmm. you, you're walking. So mm -hmm. these are some of the conversations that I realized that I don't have to have mm -hmm. right with my, with my son. Mm -hmm. uh, but so 
went through, told a lot of these stories and experiences um, as people of faith and um, justice seekers, what mm-hmm. we can, what we can do, right, mm-hmm. um, and whatnot. So uh, at the end, uh, it was really surprising. We we adjourned and uh, chapel was let out, and then there were students uh, that started chanting, uh, "Black Lives Matter." Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. and then other students go you know, BLM, BLM, mm-hmm. and whatnot. And so I was like, "Oh wow!" Like, you know, they they, I I feel like my the students of color now feel very supported mm-hmm. by me. And so I was just kind of coming up be- behind the the group and just passing on by, and mm-hmm. I was just smiling and going by, and they saw that I was an adult passing by them. I just got done speaking this right, mm-hmm. uh, and they immediately said, "Oh, I'm sorry." And stopped. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him and go, you know, you don't have to apologize to me, mm-hmm. you know? And then their teacher came out, let them all in the room, and then that was it. Mm-hmm. And so I haven't had a chance to follow up with this student yet, uh, but looking forward to doing that. Mm-hmm. But just curious um, about your thoughts on why do you think after after hearing this, that uh, they were chanting this in the hallway, why do you think that they felt like they had to apologize to me or as, as an adult figure mm-hmm. or maybe because of the environment they're in. But I'd love to hear from you what you, you think was happening there. Mm. That is interesting. So there were all, so they saw you speak, right? And then when you were done, you were walking out of the room. And then when you're walking by, they all like, sorry, like they stopped chanting. Yeah, they stopped chanting. Even though you had finished speaking to them, I mean, it is interesting. Um, well, I wasn't there, so <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, like, how... Um, well, I mean, different things that stand out to me is there's lots of... Um, I forgot the, the technical word for it, but there's lots of this allyship for show. Like, there's many... And I think I saw this a lot during like 2020 when those big, I'd say, awakening um, in the country about these type of issues were kind of brought to the forefront because you couldn't really not because they were so disruptive, which I feel is like a good thing. People couldn't just you know look away and be like, oh, nothing's happening. But it was so in your face that it had it made a lot of people have to evaluate their actions or the words that they say around um, different communities. So I think from that, there's lots of, I've seen a lot of this fake allyship of like, um, even during 2020 um, of like, they'll post the black square and be like, oh, BLM and all that. And then the next slide or the next thing that they're doing are not even close to anything around Black Lives Mattering or anything like that. Or um, they will say things or the videos that come out about people like, oh, they they don't actually believe that. They're more so doing it for the Internet to, I mean, get kind of a like a stamp of like, oh, you're a good person. But in real life, they're like a different thing. So I think there is that part of um, many people like to talk the talk, but not a lot like to actually walk the walk. And um, when they do say black lives do matter they embody that outside of just saying the phrase like they show to others and like 
they they will put themselves like that's the other thing. Many people will say BLM and all of that. They will not put themselves in harm for that cause. Many people like, oh, I support Black Lives, but if they're like, oh, can you <laughs> would you give up your spot right now for a person of color to be in that, like in your company, would you have that in there? Or if you knew during like the interview process or whatever, they chose you because you're white and they didn't choose this other person who was, you know, a person of color because company image or whatever. Would you right now do that? Step aside for somebody else to fill in your spot. Many people, no. Would you use your money, like give your money away to all these different causes that are supporting um, like organizations that are supporting people of color. Many people, nah. Yeah, they'll say the thing of like, oh, I just want to show support in like the in the background. I just, I think it's the same way of the, what got me really annoyed was the, I'll pray about it, people. The, I'll just pray about it. And like, this is not a praying about it thing. Like a lot of social changes and even the Bible talks about like faith without action is like, eh, nothing. Like you have to, you have to engage with it in different ways. It can be your money. It can be your time. It can be different things. So I think with the student, there's that thing of like many people and even like Black History Month, many people talk about Martin Luther King. Every white person you know loves Martin Luther King. Everyone loves Martin Luther King. He was peaceful. Yeah. <laughs> it basically, yeah. Black History Month is just like Martin Luther King remembrance. That's all it is. Everyone's like, oh yeah, they he was a peaceful man, this and this and that. Love his I have a dream speech. Oh, unfortunate ending to everything. Blah blah blah. Cause like Martin Luther King was he wasn't disruptive. Whereas like no one really talks about like Malcolm X, Black Panthers. Their route was it's still black history, but it was just not as peaceful for the white public so i think is that same thing of like many people will talk about martha king and they love it great but outside of that will they still be cognizant and choose to be an ally for the people who don't the unrepresented communities and other thing, instead of speaking for those communities, are you going to open the door to allow them to enter the room? Are you going to give your mic away to them to speak? Are you going to step in if you have to step in front to be that too? Because though our society is set up, it's very, you know, it's one dimension. <laughs> it's very like, you know, um, the unrepresented communities, the system is kind of built to not represent them at all. So and the other thing that I've noticed of like a lot of change won't just happen with BIPOC communities. We need the allyship of people in the majority saying like, this is wrong and open breaking, not, no, not necessarily opening the doors, but breaking all the doors and breaking the glass ceilings to like freely open it up for everyone to have that, to say their voice. So I think from those students, what I feel is, yeah, everyone is going to talk about Martin Luther King and how great it was. Everyone's going to do that for Black History Month. But when you step off the stage and the mic is no longer in front of you, are you still going to embody that? Are you like, because some people also don't like BLM because they feel like it's a lot more political than like a social thing. So then they'll be like, oh, you're supporting, 
BLM and, you know, organization and the people and all, they broke the target and all that type of stuff. Like there's still those feelings around BLM itself. So I think there's a chanting of like, oh, but then when you step off the, like, step off the podium, are you still going to be okay with that? Are you going to be like, you guys got to be quiet. It's too political or whatever. It's kind of how I feel. And um, yeah, it's, those are my feelings towards a lot of people who I do see, they say BLM and all that, but I'm always like, yeah, but are you going to really be an ally when the camera's not on you, when you don't have the mic in front of your mouth? Are you still going to embody that? Or is it just like a, show for other people to be like oh there's a good white person and then that's it and then you go home and you just go back to the way things are i think that's kind of how i see it yeah and i'm wondering if Mm -hmm. it has to do some a little bit too with christian institutions Mm -hmm. trying to uh, separate themselves from blm Mm -hmm. because so we're in a christian institution when this is happening right Mm -hmm. um though it was uh it started by one of the students of color which Mm -hmm. you know and and it was great and then the other students the white kids right Mm -hmm. uh joined it you know and then as soon as i walked by yeah the white kids were you know like this and then it's a student of color who actually looked at me and was like oh i'm sorry i'm like you don't need to apologize to me by wondering if there was some sort of christian institution thing because at a church i've served at too before we were hanging a banner in support mm-hmm. of uh black lives right um and racial injustice mm-hmm. but the one thing that the leadership team said we couldn't put on there was black lives matter they're like so we're so in this discussion of like well what do we put on there then mm-hmm. and how do we show support for the community and why can't and then i'm asking well why can't we mm-hmm. you know what what's the problem here yeah i think it's, that thing of like, as a church some... we don't want to be divisive you know we just want to pray for everyone you know it's like <laughs> the whole point is that this group needs to be spoken about a lot more because they are their lives are not like systemically the system is not showing that they do matter so we need to be on the nose about it so that people like it's brought back to their you know to the front of like we should be thinking about these things so i mean yeah many churches take that stance of like we love everyone we're just gonna pray you know it's too political we don't want to get political and all that and we're like well i mean you have black bodies in your congregation how do they feel about this as well when their church is not even willing to show any support for them. Cause then, then it does show up like, my life really doesn't matter to you guys. You'd rather not be political. You'd rather not, you know, steer the pot or all those different things. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's probably how it was. The white, when you stepped off the stage, it's now a different thing of like, they're, they're, they were chanting in support of their student because I was like, oh, this is the atmosphere. But when you step off, they're now they're like, we don't know if it's acceptable with you as the adult. Are you going to be like, guys, you got to hush it down. You got to keep it quiet type of thing. I think that's that's kind of where it stems from. Yeah. 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 And and I think this is a little bit too where the importance of, of Black History Month comes into play because uh, I go back and forth. I'm like, all right, so we have Black History Month and we make a big push. Um, we 
especially being um, white institutions, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. White Christian institutions uh, as well. Um, and so we make this big push and, uh, but it's trying to live it out consistently, right? All year long. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's where I get it, like, okay, so we're going to do Black History Month, but then we do this push, but then we forget about that. And that's the the difficult part. Yeah. I think what the great thing about it is that it does make sure that there's a placeholder mm-hmm. um, for these discussions to happen. And hopefully we can continue these discussions mm-hmm. afterwards. And what I've seen as uh, a huge benefit as well in my position is that after I gave that, that sermon, right, mm-hmm. that chapel talk, uh, my the students of color really have opened up to me uh, as a leader in in, in the institution mm-hmm. and uh, formed some trust as mm-hmm. well. And so we've been able to have some really good conversations yeah. around that. Yeah, it yeah. can be scary trying to find an ally in, and especially in like a Christian space, it is hard to find somewhere you're like, are they going to be open to, like, are they going... Are, I know Jesus created everyone, all the colors and all that, you know, all that, all that good feeling stuff, but it doesn't necessarily always um, come to fruition. So many people, many, I'll speak for myself, for myself, it has been, um, it was difficult even as a student to find an ally in a space where I know like I am a minority student, like. In in Yakima, let me think about that. Um, I think I was one of five black students in the whole high school. The high school at that time when I was there was one of the largest high schools in all of Washington. It was like a new building. It was huge. It's almost like community college size. Big building. And of that big building, I was like one of five black kids during the whole in the whole school. And all of my teachers, I think I had, no, I didn't have any black teachers. So I didn't have any black teachers at all. They're all white teachers. So it was interesting to find of like, because it does matter. Representation obviously matters. Seeing someone who looks like you in power does matter for a lot of things of like, there is trust with that. Then also you can view yourself of like, I can also attain that as well. That's, that's accessible for me. If, if you never see anyone who looks at you in that position, yes, you might have the motivation for yourself of like, I can, I want to be there, but it can also be scary of like, there must be a glass ceiling why I've never seen people like me in those positions. So that's why it matters why we talk about the first black pilot or we talk about all these people with all these accolades because it's that, it's that thing of like, there is no ceiling for you you can attain those things as well um anyway back to being the but yeah trying to find an ally was very difficult because i'm like i don't know if they will one understand my experience or two will care enough to really because teachers are all nice they'll be like oh if you want to talk about something go ahead and you'll be like oh a b and c blah blah and they'll be like oh yeah that's hard. It's difficult. Blah, blah, blah. You know, there's these different supports and that's where it stops because I'm like, I don't think they know my experience at all. So trying to find someone who's like, I don't have your exact experience, 
but I empathize for you and I want the best for you. So I will do everything I can with the privilege that I do have to make sure that you're fine and you get all the you get all the resources that you need for you to be in a good spot. It was hard to find that until I think later on in college and stuff. That's when I really, you know, found people I can like, these these are actually allies in my life. But, you know, I think it's that way for your students at your school of like, there's not really, or maybe there is, I don't know the culture, but they might not be a lot of people who truly are for them. And they, they're not just like, like there's one thing of being part of the student body, but then also feeling like you are supported among the student body. And that's why I think some schools go wrong where they're like, why are these, why are there extra services for these particular type of students? It's like, well, they need that extra support because the system won't give them that support by themselves. So like those students of color, they need someone to be checking in like, hey, are you doing good? Because they might not have that as like a mainstream student would. Even like in my line of work, working with like refugees and immigrants, like there are special programs for those students, not because like they lack the intelligence, they need that extra support in order to succeed in this new system that they're inside of. It's the same way for like BIPOC students of like, the system might not always be, doesn't have their back the same way like for, like for a white kid, a majority of your teachers, a majority of your friends look like you. So that's fine. For someone who it's they're not in that position, yes, some, maybe some of their friends, but not a majority of their teachers. Like speaking from personal experience, I've never had a majority of my teachers or a majority of my professors who look like me. That just is what it is. Maybe I'll have one or two and I'd be like, oh, I have a black professor or I have a black teacher. But it's not like a majority of my teachers look like me. Not really. This is what it is. But from there, at least I could say those, even though they don't have the same experience like me, they still are for me and they want to support me. And they would do a lot. They would go to a lot of lengths to make sure that I'm fine rather than just like saying, yeah, yeah, the way a teacher would and just see you as one of the students, but not just like part of the student body, but also supporting you a little bit more. I mean, that's the whole thing around equity is around that of like, you have to, you have to put a lot more resources into those who don't have the same like access to whatever they're trying to get to. That's the whole thing around equity. So yeah, yeah that was long. <laughs> and the representation is so important. I mean, so I was challenged in at Divinity School. Mm -hmm. uh, my professor uh, was a black woman, mm -hmm. and she uh, was my, teaching my Pentecostalism class. Mm -hmm. And she goes, "So, uh, how many black teachers have you had in your school experience? You're now in a master's degree program, mm -hmm. okay? And I and I was an older student. Mm -hmm. uh, I was an adult student in this master's degree program. And so I thought back through it. I've gone through my entire elementary." secondary associate's degree bachelor's degree my first master's degree and it took until i was about 37 years old in a master's degree program she was my first black teacher 
So yeah. that that just it's just real, yeah. you know that. And and for my that realization for me, I was like, oh my goodness, I didn't even realize that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So so it's important that we are getting people in the correct places and um, uh, and, and empowering. You know, like mm-hmm. like I'm always thinking about empowering the students. How how can we do that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I and mean, we've been able to do that in different ways, like share the stage, share the microphone, mm-hmm. uh, where we uh, had just a couple weeks ago, a couple of our students of color mm-hmm. come in and have a dialogue about their experiences as children, but also at the school mm-hmm. at large. And so trying to identify where we have blind spots and places to grow as well mm-hmm. and giving them uh, students that that place of power give them the microphone, a stage mm-hmm. and say, you know, we're, we're here to support. Um, how can we best do that? Yeah. 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 And with that, there is that line of like giving enough um, room that they can speak, but also not tokenizing them of like, Oh, we have the black person. That's the person who's going to speak on A, B and C. <laughs> yeah. That's the other thing as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, go go ahead. That that's that's so difficult because that's what I'm always mindful of too. And it's like, how do you not tokenize uh, into a, a person of color mm-hmm. and still be giving them g- giving people of color that platform, right? Mm-hmm. And saying that this is important. And you know, where do you start? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's many steps and uh, many. Dr- I mean, Ivan have taken trainings even for like our students, like refugees and immigrants, not necessarily black students, but they're students of um, color of not giving them enough room. I mean, I think it's around choice is kind of, is a good place to start of, do they have the choice to speak or not to speak? And are they given enough room that if they want to speak, the platform is ready for them? I think that's where it is. Because then the tokenizing place is like, since you are a black person, you are the person for any black issues, any stuff around DEI and stuff like that, it's you. You got to speak on all these different things. If we got something that we're sharing about, you know, I don't know, something around people of color, you got to speak at that, dude. You, You have to be in that position where... Or you're put in a place of power um, just to kind of, I mean, I've seen this a lot in, even in my line of work with like school districts, like some administrators are just put there as like, oh, we have a person of color serving in our school administration. So everything is fine. We don't have any things that we need to evaluate or they're given the jobs of all the BIPOC kids are kind of your problem to deal with. You got to deal with all that type of stuff because you are the resident person of color. So that's your role. Yeah. Yeah. So people of color have, have choice. Uh, they have uh, the ability to, uh, I had it now too. <laughs> uh, students, of color have, have, students of color have choice. And they have the access to the platform. So those are two really important components of not not tokenizing. And I think that probably a, a genuine spirit of inclusion 
you know, of wanting change in a culture uh, would be helpful as well. Because I think some places just do these things, do DEI or whatever, just to do it, say, oh, checkbox, like, you know, um, but to actually have that genuine spirit of, hey, there, there's a problem, we're going to acknowledge this problem, and we're going to have action surrounding it. Having a choice of if they even want to talk to you, or they want to be your friend, or they want to speak. Some people are like, nah, I don't want to speak on all, all these big topics. That's fine. And then to making sure that if they're like, oh, yeah, I do want to speak, you're not taking the mic from them. And you're like, well, speaking on blah, blah, blah's behalf. I mean, you might not say those words, but it's like you're speaking for them, not allowing them to speak. Or even if they don't want to speak, but they have comments about it, being um, being able to convey for like in some spaces, they might not be able to speak directly into them. Like, like among, like I can speak to um, other individuals, like other individuals about my experience, but it's up to, let I mean, I'll just say it's up to when white people speak with their white friends that the change happens. It's when they themselves are able to put themselves in the line of like, no, these are the experiences from all these people. We should be acting in this way. We should be allowing more equity. That's where it happens. It hits different when it's coming from someone from your own community calling out the different ways you've been oppressive without even knowing it makes a difference than if it was me in a room talking to people about how they need to change. It makes it's among the peer groups because i mean as humans we naturally tend to be with people who you know act like us sound like us that's just who we are but it's when you're trying to bridge that gap that's the that's where the work happens that's where people are true allies it's when you're not with your black friends when you're with your white friends and someone says something that's a little off that you're able to be like hey dude probably don't say those things and then try to educate them on that because it could also be when you're like, hey, don't say those things, you're more so reprimanding them, but they don't they don't they don't have a pathway to get better. They just know like, oh, I can't say blah blah blah. And that's when things get stirred up and then 2020 comes around and then people are like, Oh, I didn't know you could say this and this. I've been saying that for years. Because no one really tried to educate them. They're like, okay, here's the history of why you shouldn't be saying those type of things. Why it's why it's not good to be like, oh, I'm scared around black people. Why are you scared around black people? Let's talk about that more. Let's go into the education. Let's try to educate ourselves more on this rather than just like, it's bad. Don't. It's kind of like, like raising a child in a way of like, when your child does something wrong, it's important to explain to them why that thing is wrong rather than just like, don't do that. Then it's just stuck in, I don't do that. But I don't know why I'm not supposed to. Because then that will help them down the road. Think about it more. And because the reasoning part, the education part is like the big piece of it. And even if like if their friend does it, now they know the reason why they're not supposed to do that or their friend is not supposed to do that. They're able to share it. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that's a huge step in, and you're absolutely correct. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, when I even think back to that, you know, the, the influence that we can have of uh, the influence that we can have on each other, mm -hmm. right? Uh, that we don't have to call in the, the tokenized uh, person of color yeah. to deliver the message that 
that's empowering for white leaders too, mm-hmm. because I think a lot of times uh, we don't think that we can do it. Mm-hmm. We're, we're like, man, I am the wrong person to be delivering this message right now. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you're the right person for this community and context, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's that I think I've wrestled with as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but being able to give some more education background is a lot more helpful because I know I've been guilty of it, right? Like, don't talk like that. That's not cool. Mm-hmm. And that, all that tells that person is, oh, I can't say those things around Craig, yeah. right? Yeah. Where, hey, don't say it. This is disparaging language. Here's mm-hmm. where it comes from. And that's a lesson that's like, oh, wow. I didn't even realize, you know, maybe my biases or even what, what I'm saying mm-hmm. uh, is wrong or there's something more behind it. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I'm afraid of black people, black people mm-hmm. in the parking lot or mm-hmm. whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, and there's those cultural biases that we've been given, right? Mm-hmm. All of our lives, these mm-hmm. messages of to fear black men. Mm-hmm. So, to speak, yeah, right. Yeah. And so it's uh, recognizing that, oh, wow, these biases have been placed inside of us. And so uh, we need to do the work together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt this you know, as much as anyone, and we can do the work together, though, mm. and, uh, you know, make, make that change. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, <laughs> it's a great note to end on. <laughs> Go be an ally, yeah. not <laughs> just in February, for the whole year. Go stand up for underprivileged groups and, you know, give them the choice to speak, or if they don't want to speak, be able to uh, open the floor for them so that um, when they are when they want to speak or if they're able to they feel like you're also supporting them in the effort and don't be an ally just to their faces um, just to check off your list of like oh, I've done something good today it's more so the change happens when they're not around when it's just you and your friends what type of conversations are going on and are you trying to educate people or just trying to reprimand them so that they're good around you but when you're gone it's a different story well we tend to enjoy our discussion today <laughs> first topic <laughs> uh, yeah yeah okay i think that's where i